0: One of my favorite movies is The Shawshank Redemption. And I think a lot of you have seen it. When it first came out, actually, it didn't sell many tickets. But over the years, the rentals, and then uh, some of the big uh, networks produced, uh, purchased rights to show it. I think a lot of people have seen it now. And so it's it's a story about Andy Dufresne, who is uh, a banker who is wrongfully convicted of the murder of his wife and her lover. And he's sent to this horrible prison uh, called Shawshank, and especially in the beginning, undergoes all kinds of just terrible mistreatment from the guards, from other prisoners, Um, but he begins over time to bring a light into this dark place, so he actually starts to help the guards with their tax problems, and so they start to treat him and the other prisoners better, and he forms a good friendship with some of the prisoners, including one who had been there many decades named Red. And there's some also additional suffering that happens, and he spends time in solitary confinement. And Red doesn't understand how Andy is able to endure all he's able to endure. And he talks to him about hope. And for Andy, there was a specific vision of hope. And its name is Zahuatanejo. Zahuatanejo is a picturesque Mexican fishing village. And Andy has always wanted to go live there, and he is determined somehow he's going to get out of prison and he's going to live there. Now, we are much, able, much better able to endure difficulty if we can look forward to something uh, great that will happen at the end of that. Right? So, someone who is an athlete and, and they they practice every day for hours, right? They, they watch their diet. Um, they exert themselves. They're looking forward to the glory of winning the competition, right? Of, of excelling in what they do and being praised for it. When a woman is pregnant, she has to endure all kinds of difficulties and the morning sickness and other things, but what makes it endurable and is her looking forward to that moment when she holds her infant in her arms. And this is something of what Jesus is doing for Peter, James, and John in the Transfiguration. Transfiguration takes place shortly after Jesus tells them that he is going to be rejected, he is going to suffer, and he's going to be killed. Okay? So Jesus wants to give them a glimpse of his true glory to sustain them during difficult times. And really not just for them, but in a way it becomes something to sustain the whole church, Uh, especially during when the church has to go through her passion. Kind of our collective memory of thinking back that the glory of Jesus that was revealed. I was blessed, I actually got to celebrate mass on Mount Tabor. And it's interesting because when you celebrate the August 6th Feast of the Transfiguration, it speaks about what happened at that mountain. But when you go there and celebrate it, it says what happened on this mountain. It's a really beautiful thing to think about, right? And so what happens? He takes them up to pray, and interestingly, they fall asleep. Um, If you know Peter, James, and John, they apparently have a problem whenever they pray, they fall asleep. They do it again in the garden, right? But they wake up and they see Jesus now in his glory. So his true glory is is no longer covered in a sense. He's emanating light. His clothes are white, and not just that, but he has the two great witnesses from the Old Testament. Moses, who represents the law, and Elijah, who represents all the prophets, and he's conversing with them. And more than that, a cloud comes, and the voice of the Father is heard. So if you are a pious Jew, there could be no greater mystical experience to have than what they had on Mount Tabor. In our first reading, there is also a description of a mystical experience, this one of one of the patriarchs, Abraham. And this is when God makes to him the promise. Remember, he and Sarah couldn't have children, but God says that you will one day have descendants more than the stars in the sky. And in a sense, to to reassure Abraham of the truth of God's promise, that God would fulfill what he says, uh, he enters into a covenant with him. Now, this was a weird kind of covenant ceremony. It would seem weird to us, but it was done in the ancient Near East when parties would form this kind of alliance and covenant relationship. They would sacrifice animals, split the carcasses of the animals in half. They would walk through those two halves. And what it was saying was, if I don't keep my part of the covenant, let what happened to these animals happen to me. Okay, So it was a very dramatic thing. Now, the problem, of course, is that Abraham could do this, but God has no physical form. But Abraham has a mystical experience where God passes through those carcasses in the form of fire, basically fire and smoke. And I'm sure Abraham never forgot that experience. I think we too need at times experiences of God's presence and reassurance of his promises. I like to call them postcards from Zawotaneho. Because Zawotaneho is an image of paradise. Okay? So we need some foretastes of heaven to give us strength in difficult times. Now, I bet many of you have had some of these experiences. What, what it's amazing to me as a priest is that when you really get people talking about their spiritual journey, oftentimes they can remember uh, a time of a profound, life-changing encounter with God. Maybe it happened on a retreat. Uh, Maybe it happened when they were in nature or or in quiet prayer. Maybe it it happened in in some kind of interaction with another person. I've even talked to parishioners who have had prophetic dreams, uh, who have heard clearly the voice of God Okay, at certain points in their life which change the direction of their life. So I think there's certainly, there's um, people who have extraordinary mystical experiences like Teresa of Avila, uh, uh, Francis of Assisi, things like that. But I think many faithful Christians will have experiences which I call ordinary mystical experiences. Sometimes it will be, they'll feel the presence of God in a way uh, where there's this transcendent peace or a joy that's not like the joy that other things give them. Sometimes they, they experience tears where they're just so moved by this presence of God. Sometimes they even experience, some of you have experienced, actual physical heat or a kind of tingling or electricity. Now, the thing about these is that when we experience them, we actually are like Peter. We, we want them to last, we want to live on the mountaintop, right? He's like, let us build a tent you know. Um, but, but they don't last. They don't last. And sometimes, again, they can be brief, and they can be years apart, you know. It's important that we do dispose ourselves to experience the presence of God, and so we, we, we should pray. We should have a habit of daily prayer. And that is indeed what Peter, James, and John are doing when they experience the transfiguration. But even if you're faithful in prayer, and even if you have different techniques of praying, You cannot make that experience happen, okay? It is not a tap that you turn on and it can happen. It is a gift that God gives. That God, who knows best what we need, chooses at certain times. Jesus chose Peter, James, and John. He didn't choose the other apostles to come and experience this, right? God knows best. We can't demand it. We can't make it happen. Certainly when we receive it, we can receive it with great gratitude. Pope Benedict wrote about this... um, and in one, of, one volume of his book on Jesus he says <clears throat> when one has the grace to sense a strong experience of God it is as though seeing something similar to what the disciples experienced in the transfiguration for a moment they experience ahead of time something that will constitute the happiness of paradise but no one lives on Tabor while on earth human existence is a journey of faith and as such goes forward more in darkness than in full light, with moments of obscurity and even profound darkness. So, during these times when we are experiencing darkness, when it seems like God is not with us, that he's not listening, these are times when we need to remember, first of all, what the glory of God that has been revealed in the whole life of the church, in scripture and in the life of the saints, Also, too, in our personal salvation story, we need to go back and remember those experiences as well. And we need to look forward then to that time when we will, when all sadness, all tears will be wiped away, right? All evil will be gone from our lives. And we will be able to see Jesus Christ in all his glory. St. Paul promises us, he says, that he will change our lowly body to conform with his glorified body. What Jesus manifested to them wasn't only something about Him but it was showing us what will happen for us in the future that we also will have this glorified existence as He does. And until that time at the end of our story when we behold the glory of Christ face to face we must be content to receive every so often a postcard from Zawataneho and to thank God for these little moments of transfiguration.